Good morning. It's good to see you all here uh, this morning. Um, and uh, at this this weekend last year, uh, we kicked off um, our series in Matthew. And we said, we want to go through the book of Matthew. It's going to take us uh, about two years with some breaks uh, to go through it. Um, and while last year at this time, we didn't know what the year had in store for us with, with transitions and upheaval and all those kinds of things, um, what, we, what we did know is that our desire still remained the same, that this is a very important book and that to walk through a biography about Jesus and his life here on earth and his earthly ministry and what he accomplished uh, was really, really important to us. And so we, are, uh, we were committed to that and continue to walk through um, the book of Matthew. And so if you're here today or you're joining us online, I want to say welcome. Thank you for being uh, here with us. If you were here over the last year and walked through Matthew with us, I'm going to give you a little review. If you, if you were new over the summer or, or maybe this is uh, maybe your first Sunday here, I um, want to say welcome as well and just give you a recap of where we're at. So uh, we covered the first nine chapters last year. And so um, what we said was this, is that, is that Matthew is broken up into groups of uh, sections of, of themes. And so chapters one through four is really focused on this. Jesus is a king. And Jesus is a king like the world has never seen before or has ever seen since. Jesus is a king. That's chapters one through four. He's a king like none other. Chapters five through seven is this, that he is a king who has a kingdom. He's a king who has a kingdom. And this kingdom uh, is, is unlike anything that we have. It's a heavenly kingdom. In fact, uh, this kingdom doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, go forward in the ways that other kingdoms go forward. It's an upside-down kingdom, the way that we would know it. And so chapters 5 through 7 is all about the characteristics and the value system of Jesus' kingdom. And chapters 8 and 9 is this, that this king with this kingdom comes forward into the earth, that, that, that the world, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and that this kingdom, to be a part of it, is available to anybody, regardless of where you come from, regardless of who you've been. That this kingdom is available to everyone without distinction, and that to become a part of this kingdom is about, uh, to, be, uh, to be a part of this is, is to give your life to him, and that it's available to all people. And so that's really chapters one through nine. We have a king, he's got a kingdom, that kingdom's available to all people. Okay, So now in chapter 10, where we're going to be today, we're going to talk about this in chapter 10. And that is that now we're going to start to see varying responses to this king and this kingdom. Okay, So we're going to see how people react to this because some people will react well, some people not big fans of it. And so what we're going to see is, is in, in chapters 10 through 12 is different responses and reactions to this kingdom. And today we're going to, we're going to start out by knowing this. And then the big idea is that following Jesus means experiencing triumph and trial. That if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, it means that we're going to both experience both triumph, high moments, and great, incredible moments, and trials. We're going, to, we're going to walk through some things because while Jesus is a perfect king and he's bringing forth a perfect kingdom, we still live in a broken world that needs to be repaired by Jesus. And so we're going to be in Matthew 10 today. You can follow along in your Bibles or on your phone. Um, and uh, chapters 10, we're going to start in verse one, and what we're going to see um, in this is Jesus calling his 12 disciples, okay? So verses one through four is this. 
And he called them to, uh, and he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these: first Simon, who is called Peter, so he's got two names, Simon Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew's the guy who wrote this book uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You're going to get to know these guys over the rest of the book of Matthew because these are the ones that Jesus is going to interact with the most. He calls to himself the 12, okay? So he's got this inner group of people, the 12 apostles, that they are going to be the ones who are going to receive the most attention, the most training, the most intentionality in this. And because of that, uh, because Jesus is building the foundation of the church, Okay, so he's, he's building into these 12, and after he dies and rises from the dead and goes back up to the Father, it's these apostles, these, these 12 disciples, these people, these are the ones that the foundation of the church is built on. The church that we know today was formed because Jesus poured into these 12, okay? And the word uh, that they use, they usually use the 12 disciples, which means a follower or you know, a student, or they would use the word apostle, and they use both in these verses. And he said that they were the 12 apostles. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostello, which means sent. It means to send out. One who is sent is an apostle. And so Jesus, it's really interesting, he calls people in to send them out. It's almost like he wants people to encounter God and impact the world. It's the most amazing thing ever. I love it how Jesus borrowed that from us. Um, it's really cool of him. And so Jesus, he, he calls to himself the 12. Now these, these 12 um, is really interesting because they come from every walk of life. So the first four we know are fishermen. We know this because of other accounts. So Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, all fishermen, okay? Commercial Blue-collar fishermen. That's, that's who Jesus, that's four of the 12 that Jesus brings in to his fold, into the 12 to build the foundation of the church. Some others, we, we see Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew's a tax collector. He would, um, he would get money from the Jews in Israel to fund the Roman government that is oppressing them. That was Matthew's original job. Now, I don't know about you, but if, you were, if, if we were to be taken over by another nation and your neighbor started extracting taxes from you so that they could continue to fund the, the, the soldiers that are over the top of you and oppressing you, you wouldn't be popular amongst those in the neighborhood. And that is true for Matthew as well. Matthew's a tax collector. He's a Roman sympathizer. He's an enemy of Israel as viewed by the people of Israel, even though he is Israeli himself. And, and, and what's really interesting is Matthew, the tax collector, we see James, the son of uh, Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and then we get to Simon the zealot. Zealots don't like Romans at all. Zealots were viewed by, actually, you would see, like, the Roman government would view a zealot as a domestic terrorist, 
okay? They were known to stab and kill Roman soldiers in crowds. They would get them like in this crowd of people and they would come up with knives and they would stab them and kill them. And they probably killed their fair share of tax collectors, okay? So in a group of people that's supposed to follow Jesus, you have a tax collector and a zealot. I wonder how those conversations around the table were. And I'm guessing that Matthew probably extracted taxes from some of the people around him. I'm sure they've met. It's amazing to me that God would take people from all walks of life and known enemies of each other and bring them under his care. And the reason why Jesus can do this and the reason why this is so important is this. Every single one of us needs to be redefined as a follower of Jesus. Whenever we come to Jesus, whatever we brought with us needs to be redefined in that light. The reason why Jesus can do this is because everyone hits the reset button when they become a follower of Jesus. And suddenly your past history doesn't define you, whether you're a tax collector or a zealot. It's not important anymore. What is important is you're now a new creation under Christ. And so the moment, we, the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, we start to figure out the differences between us, and that's where problems arise. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep moving forward, Jesus kept these guys from killing each other. That's incredible. And he redefined them, although you're going to see throughout the scriptures that they do fight with each other occasionally. And yet everybody is redefined. When you get called by Jesus... When you get called by Jesus, you are now a new creation. Everything that once defined you no longer is nearly as important as Christ that defines you in this moment. And it's wonderful. I think it's amazing that, that God would call people from all walks of life. This great cross-section, right? Ordinary people. Because I think so often we have this idea, well, God used that person, but there's no way they're going to use me. There's no way God's going to use me. I can't do that, or I can't be that, or I'm not going to be that. It's like, no one's asking you to be anything that those people were. God's calling you to do what he's called you to do. And God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so God gives these, he calls the 12 to himself, and now he's going to send them out to do some work. Verses 5 through 15. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Those are non-Jewish places. On this mission, he says, don't go to those places, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, lepers, not leopards, lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper or for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you, come, uh, until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and leave when, uh, when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable 
on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. There's a whole lot there, so we're going to kind of walk through it. Jesus sends out the twelve says, at this time, in this point, for this mission, I don't want you to go to any of the Gentiles, any of the non-Jews. I don't want you to go to Samaria, where there's this Gentile-Jew mixing, intermingling that's happening. I don't want you to go anywhere for that. I want you to start with the lost sheep of Israel. And the reason why Jesus wants to do that is because the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is one long plan and story. It's this unfolding story of how God is systematically rescuing people from their sins and bringing them to himself to make a new people. And so what we see is, is, is back in the book of Genesis, God would make a promise to a guy named Abraham who, who, would, who would become the father of the, of the Jews. And he said, listen, out of this, out of yours, will come a nation which will be a light to all the other nations. And so Jesus says, this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with what's supposed to be the light to all the other nations. I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel first and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to give them the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I also want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. I want you to go into towns. I want you to, people to understand that the kingdom of heaven comes without a price, that they don't have to buy their way into the kingdom. And so you're not going to receive any money. You're, not gonna, you're gonna communicate to these people, you're going to trust me that I'm gonna provide for you and I've already selected people in those cities where the peace of God will rest upon them. And you're gonna go in and when you find somebody who's gonna welcome you in and give you food and you know, take care of you during those times, let, just stay in that spot and minister out of that area. If you go into some place and they reject you and they don't wanna be hospitable to you, let that peace return to you. And he says, if there's a house or a town that rejects this message, I want you to shake the dust off of your sandals as judgment against them. I want you to take those sandals off, clap them together, put your shoes back on your feet, and get walking. He says, I want, you to, I want you to show to them, I don't want anything from this city contaminating anything else, not even the dust of your town. I don't want that getting anywhere else. If you reject the message of Jesus, I don't want any part of this. And he says, truly, it's gonna be worse for them than the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah you find in the book of Genesis were two very, very evil, wicked cities. They were very, very evil. They did awful things to people. They would, they would take advantage of and assault and sexually abuse visitors that would come to their town. They were, they were terrible doing vile, vile things. And God says, I'm gonna destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Abraham has a conversation with them and he says, listen, would you destroy the cities if there were 50 righteous people? And he said, no, I wouldn't destroy it if there were 50 righteous people. And God, God and Abraham continue to have this conversation all the way down to Abraham goes, even if we could find 10, if we could find 10 righteous people, decent human beings, if we could find 10 righteous people, would you destroy these two cities? And he said, no, I wouldn't do it. And they couldn't find 10. They couldn't find 10 righteous people. And so God rained down fire on these cities so that they would no longer be in existence and they would no longer torture and torment the people around them. And Jesus says, listen, I'm gonna send you out. I'm gonna send you out into this, this, this world. And you might think that that sounds harsh, but he goes, listen, if they're gonna reject you and beat you and revile you, understand this, I know what I'm doing. I got it covered and I will take care of that judgment. 
If they reject you, God says, I will take care of that. I think that's amazing to understand that God watches over us and knows everything and goes, listen, I know how if they're going to treat you and treat you poorly, I'm going to take care of that. We're going to deal with that. Because there's this reality that, that, that Jesus is going to show them in this. And the reality is this, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will be delivered, brother over to death. And the father his children, and the children will raise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the household Beelzebub, we're going to get back to that name in a sec, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus calls these 12 together, gives them tremendous authority of healing and casting out demons and doing just these incredible things. But he also says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. God sends his people out into some of the most dangerous places in the world. And we hear, when we think about this, we think about that harsh judgment that we just saw that he said, listen, those cities, it's gonna be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day than for those cities. And he says, but listen, you're going out into dangerous places. You're going out as sheep amongst wolves. These people want to devour you, to destroy you, and to destroy everything that I am going to build. There are people that do not receive the message of Jesus, in fact, react very hostily to it and violently to it. And they want nothing more than to destroy the name of Jesus and the good news that he brings to all people. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And so when you're there, you need to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. He's saying, you need to use your head you need to think. You're going to be in dangerous places. God doesn't call us to be stupid, right? Jesus says to go out and be wise about things. Walk as wisdom of a serpent, he said, but also be innocent as a dove. You can't resort to the tactics of the enemy. You, you're, you can't manipulate. You just need to be really smart about things, but you also need to remain wholeheartedly devoted to me. 
He says, you're going to go to places and people are going to drag you into the courts and they're going to drag you into synagogue, which synagogue is like a local uh, church for Jews. They were meeting together. And he says, listen, th- those places that we think would be safe spaces, right? Like if, if, if you were in trouble, you would ap- ap- appeal to like the courts, right? I want to go to court. I'm going to go there. I'm going to stand before. There's some protection there. He says, there's not protection for you. You're going to get drugged into court. You're going to get drugged into synagogue. You're going to get flogged. You're going to get beaten. And you're going to be hated because of me. Jesus calls out his 12, gives them extraordinary authority, and then sends them into places and say, listen, you're going to be hated by me. Not by me. You're going to be hated by some because of me. People are going to hate you because of me. And you're going to experience deep betrayals. Brother against brother. Father against children. Children against their parents, delivering them up to be killed. Because of the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is a king and he has a kingdom and that's a kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness does not appreciate, like, or want any of that. And people who really love the kingdom of darkness and don't want to submit their lives to Jesus are going to react violently to Jesus as king. He says we're going to war and people are going to die. The history is filled, the church history is filled with people who've given their lives. Given their lives. There's there's three books that I would highly recommend you read or at least peruse through sometime. One is a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's the story of people giving their lives for Jesus. There's another book, Jesus Freaks. Um, Volumes one and two, actually there's two volumes. They're like three-page stories of people who've given their lives for the cause of Christ. And a book called The Insanity of God. How Jesus would use the persecuted church to transform nations. This is nothing new for the church, that we would be sent out as sheep amongst wolves. But listen, he says, I am going to be with you. You don't have to worry. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to give you the strength to endure. And you need to persevere through this. You can't just jump ship and say, you know what? I'm done with the whole Jesus thing. He's like, listen, we need to persevere all the way to the end. All the way to the end. And the reality is that people will reject us. The people, some people will not like us. Some of your family members don't like that you're a follower of Jesus. We have people in our church who have been rejected by their families because they became followers of Jesus. But God is with us in the middle of it. He's with us right now. He's with us in spirit. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he says, listen, they're going to hate you. And listen, they hate me too. Jesus says, they're going to call me Beelzebub, which means the prince of Baal, which is synonymous in the New Testament with Satan. Baal was a, was a demon god in the, in the Old Testament that, that some Israelites started to worship, and it was really nasty, and they had child sacrifice and self-mutilation and all this weird stuff that was going on because they were wanting to appease Baal. And he says, listen, they're going to call me Beelzebub. They're going to call me Baal the prince. They're, they're basically going to call me Satan. 
think about that. The, 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 the Messiah that these people were studying in the Old Testament and Jesus shows up fulfilling all of that and they say, you know what, you're not him, you're Satan. They call the Son of God Satan. If they're gonna call God Satan, what are they gonna call us? It says, listen, you're not above your master, you're not above your teacher. We just hope to be like him and that is to suffer well in the middle of trial. But Jesus went before us in that and Jesus is with us now through his spirit. So some of you in this room, you're going through some difficult stuff. Not just the trials of life, but people are betraying you and maligning your name because you follow Jesus and you're going through some difficult things. You're not alone in your suffering. If you're watching this online or you're here in this room, you need to know you're not alone in this moment. You're not alone. We have, that's why the church, the gathering together of people, that, that, that's why our, our group of people getting together to encourage one another because life is hard. Life is hard. But there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. And we need to remind each other that there's hope in Jesus and that Jesus is with us because following Jesus means experiencing triumph and trial. You're gonna experience both in this world and in this life. Following Jesus means experiencing triumph and trial. And because what Jesus lays out for his 12 apostles is, is principally what we all experience as well, right? To some varying degree. One, we're called and sent. That all of us are called followers of Jesus. God called you and he called you by name and he called you to himself to send you back out. So all of us as followers of Jesus, we experience that. All of us are given authority. That we have power because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We have power over the principle and palities of darkness. We have power given to us by the Lord, and we need to trust Him to provide for us. For some of us watching today or in this room, you know that God is calling you to something, and you are scared to death because you don't know how it's going to happen. And you don't know, like, well, how am I going to make money? And how am I going to eat? And what am I going to live? And God is calling you to something, and he's already found out and figured out ways to provide for you. We just need to trust him. We just need to trust him. And that we, we all need to leave the judgment and the results to God. Let him take care of the reception of people. Let him deal with that. We're just going to be the messengers and deliver the message. We're going to trust God with the results. Because some people will receive it and some people will be curious and some people will reject it and some people will reject it right now, but they'll receive it later. We'll let God deal with those things. And we're all called to persevere through trial. We're all called to persevere through betrayal. And that when we fail in our mission, we can always turn back to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who lived this life perfectly. He's the one who died in our place 
and died the death we should have died but didn't and rose from the dead to show that he has conquered Satan's sin and death and he gives new life to all who would believe in him. That's the message that we need to bring to people. And that's the message that's not gonna be well received by some and will be received wonderfully by others. And we need to follow in the steps of our master and understand that Jesus is with us through it all. He doesn't leave, he doesn't forget, he doesn't forsake, he doesn't leave you behind. God is with us in the middle of it right now. God will always be with us as followers of Jesus. If you're here today, you need to know that. If you're watching today, you need to know that. And if you're here today and you're like, God is calling you maybe for the first time, you're like, you're being drawn to this call. We're gonna pray in a little bit. I want you to walk with me through that. I wanna lead you in giving your life to Jesus. Let us all remember God is with us. That's what, that's what Jesus' name is. God saves. They call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you for what you're doing in our life. God, I pray that for us who are in here, who are followers of Jesus, God, I pray that we would take this seriously, knowing that one, we have authority and power given to you by the Holy Spirit, given to us. And Lord, I also pray that we would persevere through trial, but also, Lord, that we would see the triumphs that, God, you have set before us. Let's be encouraged today, even in the middle of hardship. And God, for those who are in this room today or watching online today, Lord, I pray that if, if that's you, uh, would you just repeat after me as we walk you through this, this giving of yourself over to Jesus. You can repeat this out loud. You can say this quietly. But just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, you are God. And I recognize that I have not been a part of your kingdom. I realize that I have been rebellious against you. And God, in this moment, I am trusting and recognizing that the cross of Jesus Christ was enough to cover all of my sins, past, present, and future. And so, God, I throw my life upon your mercy. And I ask you for forgiveness. And I thank you, God, for granting it out of your love and kindness and mercy. Help me to live all the days of my life for you. And God, please surround me with other believers who can walk with me. In Jesus' name, amen.